Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. Well, good morning. You may have noticed uh, today is a special Sunday. It's something we started uh, a couple months ago. The last Sunday of every month is what we're calling a family service. And so that means a couple of things. One, it means that our older kids, so what we call Apostles Youth Club or AYC, are helping serve in different ways throughout the service. So we had uh, folks helping us greet this morning, helping with the media team. Uh, David did a great job reading the scriptures this morning. And so this is a way for us to invite our, um, our students to participate in the life and the worship of the church. And then also what it means is that our kids who are usually leaving for kids' time will stay in the service uh, again, giving them an opportunity to participate fully and uh, really as a, as a means of discipleship so that as they grow into the worshiping community, they are fully participating in our life together. So we're excited, uh, kids, that y'all are going to be staying in here with us. And so Mary Camden and Emerald, where's Emerald, are going to come up front and just grab some of these bags, and they're going to hand out these bags for all our kids who are going to stay in the service. So if that's you, just raise your hand, kids, and they'll come by and drop off uh, one of these activity bags for you for things to do while you're listening to the sermon and while you're participating this morning. So just raise your hand, kiddos, and they will come by and see you. As they're doing that, um, just uh, wanted to recognize yesterday was another special day in the life of our church. So uh, we got to celebrate Eric Mingle's ordination to the pri- priesthood. So praise God uh, for that. It was, uh, it was a beautiful day, a powerful um, moment in the life of any church to see God raise up um, from within those he has called to serve in this particular way. And so we are grateful for Eric, for his ministry, and just praise God for Bethan and Eric being a part of our church family. Uh, and also today will be a special day for Eric. It'll be the first time that he will celebrate at the table uh, as a part of our uh, church family uh, here on a Sunday morning. And so we're excited uh, for that. So lots going on, lots of exciting things uh, going on, and so lots to give thanks to God for. Um, this morning, we are going to wrap up our series that we've been in on uh, John chapter 4. We've been looking at this amazing encounter between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. So I want to invite you to open your Bible or grab one of the Bibles in the seat backs near you and open up to John chapter 4, those verses I just read. We're going to look at that together. As a reminder, as you're turning there, a reminder of kind of how we got to this point in the narrative. So Jesus and his disciples were walking from Jerusalem north up to Galilee, and they had to go through Samaria. And as they pass through Samaria, they come to a well. And so at this well, the disciples and Jesus part ways. The disciples go off to find food in a nearby town. And Jesus encounters a woman at the well, a Samaritan woman. And we've talked about all the barriers that existed there that Jesus pushes through. And he has this incredible conversation that we get to eavesdrop on. And as the conversation goes, it ultimately leads to the revelation that Jesus is the Christ. He is the long-awaited Messiah. 
And what happens is this woman comes to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. And as she runs back to the town to tell everyone else about Jesus, the disciples have now returned. And uh, what they are confused by is the scene they see before them. A A woman, a Samaritan woman, Jesus at a well talking to each other. Totally unacceptable, totally inappropriate according to cultural norms, and yet this is what they witness as they come back. So they're they're confused. We're told they're confused. They want to ask, but they don't ask. And so they're standing there, and this is where we pick up the story with the disciples and Jesus at the well. Verse 31, meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, saying, Rabbi, this teacher, eat. But Jesus says to them, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus says to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish or to fulfill, might be a better translation, his work. So I just want to pause there in our reading this morning and notice a few things. So first, maybe notice what Jesus is not saying here in these verses He is not saying that he doesn't need food. So this isn't some example of Jesus being kind of supernatural in a way that he doesn't actually eat. He does eat. He's hungry. Uh, He has to have food. In the same way, he's saying, and to be human is to eat. (laughs) We need food. So it's not really about whether or not we need to eat food. Jesus is saying something more. In fact, Jesus, in a way, he's playing with food. He's playing with his food here with the disciples. This idea, at least, this concept of food. And what he's doing is he's saying, look, disciples, you guys are missing what's happening here. When you walked up on the scene and you were confused and you asked me, Rabbi, eat, I want you to realize you're missing what's happening, both in the moment, in terms of my interaction with this woman, and in terms of my identity and my mission because you're focusing on this question of food. So this is Jesus' kind of patient, beautiful, subtle way of saying, guys, that's not what this is about. I want you to see what's really going on here. And so Jesus begins to draw this parallel for us. As food is to the body, so God's will is to the soul. As food nourishes and sustains the body, so doing what God has called him to do nourishes and sustains Jesus' spirit. In other words, doing God's will is the most satisfying, fulfilling experience any person can have. In fact, fulfillment of God's will in your life is the ultimate aim, the telos of the Christian life. I was thinking about this and realizing that in just a few weeks, uh, many of us, most of us, will gather around tables with family and friends, and we will enjoy fried turkey, or if you prefer smoked turkey, or if you prefer roasted turkey, whatever you like, you'll have a big spread in front of you, a turkey with all the fixings, stuffing, green beans, uh, maybe, anybody like collards? I love collards. There you go, man. Uh, Cranberry sauce. Anybody like cranberry sauce? Yes. We we do both. We do like the homemade and right out of the can with the rings, you know, on it. We love that stuff. Mashed potatoes. Langley makes amazing sweet potatoes every year. So we'll be spreading all that out. And just like you guys, we will eat. We will feast on 
this meal together. And at some point, our stomachs will begin to talk to us. Our stomachs will say to our brains, okay, that's enough. No more room. And so we'll get this sense of we're full. We're satisfied. And so we'll sit back from the table. You'll do that Thanksgiving push. And you'll sit there and you will feel warm and sleepy and satisfied, right? That idea of being fulfilled, of being filled up, of being satisfied is what is central to what Jesus is saying here to his disciples. And he's using food to paint that picture. That's what life with God is meant to be like, filling, satisfying. John Piper said it this way, and I I love this. He said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. The church father Irenaeus said it slightly differently. He said it this way, the glory of God is man fully alive. Humans fully alive bring glory to God the Father. Man fully alive, fully satisfied, most glorifies the Lord. So Jesus himself, the one speaking these words, he is the perfect picture of this. Jesus was the most fully alive and fully satisfied human being to ever walk the planet. Why? Because he perfectly obeyed the will of God. Philippians 2, which David read for us just a few moments ago, says that Jesus was so committed to obeying his heavenly Father that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Doing his Father's will was everything to Jesus. In the garden before he went to the cross, he prayed to his Father, not my will, but your will be done. The spirit of Jesus was a spirit of loving, sacrificial obedience to his loving Father. And so when we put our trust in Jesus, what happens? Well, one of the things that happens is his spirit takes up residence within us. Christ in us is what the New Testament tells us. And his appetite for the Lord's will becomes our appetite. We too can lovingly and sacrificially obey. Now, we certainly don't always obey God's will, but we have the capacity now in Christ through the power of the Spirit to actually live lives of faithful obedience, lives that fully satisfy and bless and sustain not only us, but all those around us. That's the beauty and the power of the gospel at work in our lives. So Jesus, in other words, he's teaching us about our vocation. He's teaching us about our calling, what we were made to do in this life. You were made not just to survive. You were made not just to be entertained. You weren't made just to be a cog in some kind of machine. You were made to be glorious in creation, to glorify the God who made you and who calls you to do the things that he's gifted and equipped you to do. And when you're living out of who you are in Christ, you are most satisfied and he is most glorified. The glory of God is you, fully alive. Now, throughout the series, we've been talking about evangelism. And so you might ask, well, 
what's the application to evangelism here? What does this have to do with sharing our faith, proclaiming the gospel? And I would say everything. Everything. How beautiful, think about it this way, how beautiful is a person who is fully alive in Christ? How compelling is a life lived for someone and something greater than ourselves? How powerful is a life of integrity where our words and our ways are in line with who God says he is and what he calls us to do. A fully alive you will draw people to Jesus. So I think it has everything to do with our call to evangelism. So let's press on. Let's look at the rest of what Jesus says here. In verse 35, look there with me. Jesus says, Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the harvest fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Now I want to highlight there's two proverbs here that Jesus kind of draws into the conversation. Two ancient proverbs And I think they're bolded, if y'all can see. So the first one is right there at the top, right? He says, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. So we say that all the time, right? Proverb, everybody knows that proverb, right? No, I've never heard that proverb. What is Jesus saying? Uh, One of the things that Jesus is kind of pointing to is something that might be equivalent to uh, Rome wasn't built in a day, right? In other words, what he's saying is the harvest is coming, but it's four months away. It takes time for the harvest to arrive. And so he's saying, people say this all the time. It says, don't worry, there's plenty of time. The harvest is months and months away. Now, there are things in life that take time. Rome wasn't built in a day. But there's a big difference here, and Jesus wants us to see it. What he says is when it comes to mission, This proverb does not hold true. He says, people say this all the time, but don't think about mission this way. The time is now, not some indefinite time, not some place out there in the future. It's right now. And what does he say to emphasize that? He says this. He says, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white with harvest. Now, what's fascinating here is it's very possible that Jesus, as he's standing here talking with his disciples, remember, with this well beside them talking, it's very possible there are fields all around them that are white for harvest. So there's a living example of what he's talking about. But I think even more than that, even more compelling and amazing is that it's very likely that as Jesus utters these words, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest, he is pointing to the Samaritan town that lies just on the horizon. He is pointing to the people that the woman has told who are now streaming out to the well that are described later in the chapter who come to see this Jesus, the Messiah. They are the great human harvest now coming to Jesus. And so he says, look up. And see this harvest that God is bringing. The truth is, it's so easy for me to get so focused on the day-to-day routines and demands of my life that I never look up. 
don't know if any of y'all can relate to that. Just this day-to-day, just get through it, get it done. What's the next thing? Moving fast, always moving forward. Go, 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 pace of life. And here, Jesus, I think, gives us an invitation that is not only a gift to us, but a gift to the world when he says, look up, lift up your eyes. It reminded me of, of the way I feel sometimes when I get out of Houston and I remember their stars, right? You, got, if, you just forget in Houston, you never look up to see the stars. They're there, but all the light pollution just kind of washes it out, and so you never look up. And there's something beautiful here that God is saying, look up. It's easy to miss unless you look up. We are surrounded by a great harvest church, people all around. People are more ready for the gospel than we think. There's a harvest that's ready to come in. There's a harvest at your school. There's a harvest at your work. There's a harvest in your neighborhood. There's a harvest within your own family. Are we praying for the harvest? Are we keeping our eyes up? There's a great harvest. And so Jesus says in Matthew 9, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. That's us into the harvest field. So that's the first proverb. This is the second one. It says... Um, one sows and another reaps. So Jesus picks up this other ancient proverb, and this proverb is a little bit different. This proverb is what's uh, kind of referred to as an unfairness proverb, right? You guys get that? It's an unfairness proverb. You would say this if you felt like, well, that's not fair. One sows and another reaps. It's not fair that one person does all the work, and then somebody comes swooping in and gets all the reward, all the benefit. In other words, it's a, it's a proverb of complaint, and it's very common. It's, it's actually fascinating. It's common in multiple cultures throughout history have this proverb in their vernacular because it's such a common human experience. One reaps and another sows. What's amazing here is that Jesus turns a proverb of complaint into a proverb of gratitude. Do you see that? Jesus takes complaint and turns it into gratitude. He says to the disciples, you guys, you know what you get to do? You get to reap from that which you did not sow. You get the benefit of what someone else has done. Praise God. You get to participate in an ongoing work. And so what he says is, others have labored for this harvest of the Samaritans to come to faith. And the question is, who are these others? Who are the others that Jesus is talking about here to the disciples? It was only Jesus at the well, so he can't be talking about himself necessarily. And so it begs this question, who prepared the Samaritans for this gospel that Jesus has now proclaimed to them? I love what Dale Bruner says in his commentary in John. He writes this. He says, who are these mysterious others? I sense that they are father, son, and Holy Spirit, who have already been so clearly at work in the life and ministry of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And so do we have the audacity to think that it's we who bring God to people? That somehow God wasn't active before we arrived? Or can we be freed to say and to see it is the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at work already at work ahead of us, 
seeking and speaking and seizing the hearts of men and women whom he loves and who is bringing him to the Savior of the world. The posture of evangelism is one of humility and gratitude. It never begins with us. It never ultimately depends on us. It begins with the Lord, with the triune God. It always depends on him and his spirit at work in the hearts of people in all places and in all times. God is working even now to draw people around us and our lives to himself, and we are invited to enter into that work and reap that which we did not sow. I want to end uh, with a quick story, just a, a personal experience I had, I think, that illustrates this. When I was uh, a Young Life leader, uh, I got to work with a high school student uh, named Kurt. Kurt and I met when he was a sophomore, and he came to Young Life, and we started hanging out, and he wanted to get together and read the Bible together. He was curious. He wasn't a believer, didn't go to church, had no background in faith, and so we got together for weeks, uh, and in his senior year, we met every week at a little bagel shop around uh, the corner from campus. And I prayed for Kurt. I shared Jesus. I shared the gospel with Kurt. We read the Bible together, and he never was able to take that step of faith to put his trust in Jesus. And so Kurt went off to college. <clears throat> And a few years later, I get this phone call from Kurt, and he says, hey, can we get breakfast again? It's been a while since we'd talked. So we get breakfast, and I'll never forget, as I'm sitting there hearing how he's doing, he goes on to tell me how he's come to faith in Jesus. And it's because of a professor of his at school who shared the gospel with him. And I'll never forget this. He turned to me, and then he said this. He said, I just wanted to get together because I wanted to thank you for all the time you spent sharing about Jesus because I don't think I could have heard the gospel if it hadn't been for all the ways you poured into me and shared Christ with me. Now, I just have to be honest. When Kurt left for college, I felt like an absolute failure. But as I got in my truck after that breakfast, I wept. And honestly, I wept tears of joy that Kurt came to faith in Jesus, but also wept tears of contrition, forever doubting that the Lord would never give up on Kurt. Church, we get to be a part of what God is already doing. One sows and another reaps, but the harvest is plentiful. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. We thank you that we have been a part of the harvest. Lord, that you have rescued us and redeemed us and given us life in your name. And so, Lord, our love for you, Lord, overflows out of your love for us. And we pray that that love would flow out into those around us. Lord, that our heart for the lost would be like your heart for the lost. And as we've looked at John 4, and as we come to the end today, Lord, I pray that we would hear your call on our lives to go out into the world, Lord, because there is a great harvest, 
and you are at work in the lives of our friends and our coworkers, Lord, of our family, of our neighbors, and we get to be a part of the work of your Holy Spirit to draw people to Jesus. Lord, help us to be the workers who go out into the harvest field. We pray all that and in all that that you would be glorified. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at apostleshouston.org.